Welcome back to our series called In Her Words, a satirical memoir by Sophia of Hanover. This series was written by Sophia herself and is performed by Rebecca Larson. When we return, we'll continue Sophia's story with Chapter 3. The Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Duke George William of Brunswick heard the report of my engagement at the very time when urged by his subjects to marry, he had promised to take the subject of matrimony into consideration if they, on their part, would increase his revenues. While in treaty with his subjects on this question, he could think of no princess more suitable than myself were he indeed forced to take a step to which he had always felt the greatest repugnance. He sent Herr von Hammerstein, who was well known at our court, to ascertain the truth of my reported engagement, and to inform us at the same time of the state of things at Hanover. Hammerstein heard from the elector how good things stood. The Prince Adolf had made many promises which apparently stood, but little chance of being fulfilled. That it was already ascertained from Colonel Moore that the king was unable to ratify the article touching the exercise of my religion, while as to my maintenance, the prince had promised more than he had the means of providing. The elector told Hammerstein that it rested with him to break off or to conclude the marriage. Armed with this answer, Herr von Hammerstein returned to Hanover. Soon after, the duke himself, with his brother Duke Ernest Augustus, appeared at Heidelberg en route to Italy. He at once attached himself to me, questioning me as to my reported engagement and paying me numberless compliments, to which I was not backward in responding. At last he spoke the great word, asking if he had my permission to demand my hand of the elector. My answer was not that of a heroine of romance, for I unhesitatingly said yes. I infinitely preferred the duke to Prince Adolf, to whom I had taken so great an aversion that only a strong effort of will could have overcome it. I knew also that the elector loved me well enough to approve my choice, especially as right was on my side, for this match was much superior to the other. The elector did not wait to be asked twice, but at once gave his consent. A marriage contract was drawn up and signed by the elector, the duke, and myself. 
the duke then continued his journey to venice pending the necessary negotiations he enjoined the strictest secrecy on us saying that were his subjects to hear that he was already engaged all hope of obtaining from them any increase of revenue would disappear the elector on his side also desired secrecy that he might with the better grace break off the engagement with prince adolf so the matter was unknown to all save duke ernest augustus who would infinitely have preferred to keep his brother whose full confidence he enjoyed entirely to himself rather than see him take a wife to share his heart and perhaps cool his friendship we saw the two brothers depart after receiving from them the assurance of their speedy return meanwhile we were to exchange letters i heard from the duke of hanover that the poor prince adolf had shown him my picture as that of his future bride the prince also soon afterwards went to stay with his sister the margraven of baden and durlach and sent lasalle to tell the elector that he was already to come to heidelberg whenever he was pleased to receive him the elector did all in his power to prevent the prince's arrival giving lasalle to understand that the state of affairs was changed and that although the king doubtless thinking matters too far advanced to be stopped had written in the most gracious terms of his brother's marriage still he knew on good authority that his majesty had kindly expressed a fear that i might not be happy with his brother and that his many promises would find but scanty fulfillment the elector broke all this with the greatest gentleness to la salle assuring him that even were his sister not so fortunate as to become prince adolf's wife he the elector would all the same remain his obedient servant ready and willing on all occasions to serve him to the utmost of his ability the quick-witted la salle guessed the state of affairs at once and on passing the duke of hanover's picture was to say i am the most humble and obedient servant of your highness the duke of hanover i think however that he had too much regard for us to say all that he thought to his master the elector dismissed him laden with fine presents how he explained matters to his master i know not but all his persuasions failed to prevent the prince's appearance at heidelberg with the margraven his sister he tried to insist on the marriage the idea that he was to possess me was so fixed in his mind as to become his prevailing passion and he left no stone unturned to gain his object sometimes he wept and others flew into a rage with colonel moore abusing and cursing him for having served him so badly finding however that all was of no avail as the elector firmly insisted on the ratification of the settlement by the king he determined to go himself and persuade his brother to take up his cause he found the king however engrossed in the polish war with neither time nor wish to interfere not to mention that his majesty being very sharp-sighted soon perceived that the elector did not really desire the match meanwhile the duke of hanover plunged in the dissipations of venice ceased to think of me nor had his subjects come to any conclusion as to the increase of his revenue 
he began to repent the promise which bound him by word and deed to me when we return we'll continue sophia's story another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. His letters grew colder and he himself failed to appear at the appointed time. The elector was very uneasy, but pride kept me up. To revenge myself, I lent a willing ear to a proposal of marriage from the Duke of Parma, which was brought by a monk named Father Minari. This father was a born subject of the Duke's, had shown my portrait to his master, and brought his master's portrait to the elector. The good man, hoping to make his fortune by this marriage, led the Duchess to believe that I would become Roman Catholic and the hope of gaining a soul made her eager for the match. The Duke of Hanover, meanwhile, perplexed how to find an honorable escape from his engagement, hit on the expedient of proposing to his brother, Duke Ernest Augustus, that he, as his other self, should marry me and receive the family estates. He, proposing to retain for himself only a liberal income sufficient for his private expenses. He also assured his younger brother that he would give him a paper, written and signed by his own hand, to the effect that he would never marry, but live and die a bachelor. Duke Ernest Augustus listened with pleasure to this proposition. But as he was of the opinion that he would not receive the duchy without the consent of John Frederick, the next heir, they resolved to speak to him together and confide to him all that had taken place at Heidelberg. The Duke of Hanover assured John Frederick that he should suffer no injury from this plan for their younger brother's benefit, since, were he to die, John Frederick would succeed to the duchy, which he could, in no case, possessed during his, George William's, lifetime. Duke John Frederick by no means relished this proposal and replied to the Duke of Hanover, Why should you give the princess to my brother and not to me? It would be absurd on my part to grant such an advantage to the youngest. The Duke of Hanover was so enraged by this answer that he drove John Frederick in the rudest manner out of the palace where he was staying. There was a natural antipathy between these two brothers, though the good qualities of John Frederick deserved better treatment. The Duke of Hanover used to insult him grossly, for which, as the sequel will show, he chose his own time to revenge himself and enforce respect. Duke George William determined, however, to send Ernest Augustus to arrange matters at Hanover, but on the way he fell alarmingly ill at Vienna. A courier was at once sent to inform the Duke of Hanover. On opening the letter, the German word for death met his eye, and yielding to despair, he tore it up without reading further. Hoxthausen, his equerry, putting the pieces together, proved to him that his brother was still alive. 
The Duke took post, horses and traveled all day and night to Vienna, where he had the joy of embracing his brother, who was already out of danger. A few days later, the two brothers started for Hanover. On their arrival, Duke George William announced to his council that, being resolved never to marry, he had persuaded his brother, Ernest Augustus, to bear for him the burden which he could not bring himself to endure. He, therefore, demanded that his brother's income should be so considerably increased as to enable him to maintain a wife. Though this speech was by no means to the taste of the audience, still they forced to content themselves with it and obey their master by raising the funds required. The dukes confided the business also to Hammerstein, entreating him to aid in extricating the Duke of Hanover from his dilemma by obtaining the elector's consent to their joint plan. Hammerstein accordingly set off and found the elector at Frankenthal. Worn out at last by his wife's bad temper, which he had striven vainly for seven years to subdue, the elector had made up his mind to have a divorce and to take the Baroness von Degenfeld in her stead. To avoid disturbance at home, the elector had, as I mentioned, taken refuge at Frankenthal. Here, Hammerstein found him and made known his proposition, of which the substance was that if the elector would bestow me on Duke Ernest Augustus, the Duke of Hanover promised to renounce marriage for himself, to augment considerably his brother's income, and to settle on me the same dower that I should have received as his own wife. Furthermore, Duke Ernest Augustus had, by the Treaty of Munster, been appointed Bishop of Osnabrück, which I could in the future live at my ease. Meanwhile, I should be mistress of Hanover, for my children, should God grant me any, were to inherit all the Brunswick-Lunenburg possessions. Seeing that, Christian Louis of Zell had been for long married and had no family, while John Frederick was too stout ever to have any. I, therefore, should become mother to the family and country as effectually as though I had been made the wife of Duke George William. The elector listened with considerable surprise to this discourse and pointed out, among other objections, that he saw no security in the Duke of Hanover's promise of celibacy, since he was so inconsistent in his resolutions. And were he again to change his mind, there was no law in our religion to force him to keep his word. Hammerstein assured the elector that he need entertain no apprehensions on that score. The elector accordingly said that he would write to me and give his own answer on receiving mine. He, therefore, did me the honor to write, informing me of all the Hammerstein had said adding that, for his part, he preferred Duke Ernest Augustus, and considered him both more amiable and more sensible than his brother of Hanover. I replied that a good establishment was all I cared for, and that, if this was secured to me by the younger brother, the exchange would be to me a matter of indifference, that I would gladly do whatever he thought best, for, looking on him as my father, I trusted myself entirely to his care. On receiving my answer, the elector entered into terms with Hammerstein, who had full powers to conclude the marriage. 
The articles were drawn up, and the elector permitted me to accept a present from the Duke Ernest Augustus, together with a letter such as is usually written on such occasions. I replied in the same terms, and nothing now remained but the marriage itself, which the Duke, who had a strong dislike to ceremonies of all kinds, wished to celebrate at Hanover. This, however, the elector would not hear of, declaring that a king of Sweden had once come to Heidelberg to marry his great-aunt, and that if the duke wished no ceremony, he might come privately to Heidelberg, and that after the marriage I should be sent to Hanover with a retinue befitting my rank. The duke agreed to one, but not to the other of these proposals, saying that after I became his wife, the charge of my journey would fall on him, and that he could accept the offer with which the elector honored me, only as far as the frontiers of the Palatinate. These arrangements completed and the time for our marriage fixed, the elector went to attend the Diet at Frankfurt. During the transaction of these affairs, poor Father Minari was anxiously awaiting the arrival of the messenger expected to come and treat of his sovereign's marriage. But as time went on and no messenger appeared, he began to fear that the Duke had changed his mind. The more, as he saw an announcement in a paper, which often told untruths, that the Duke of Parma was about to marry a Princess of Savoy. The good father's mind was so distracted by this piece of news that going to bathe, while in his dejected state, he was drowned in the Necker. Whether by accident or design, I cannot say. For the Italians, though violent in their affections, are yet fondly attracted to life. Some days after this calamity had occurred, the Duke of Parma sent to Count Londi to the elector, whom he found at Frankfurt, only to learn that he had come too late. Wishing nevertheless to see me, he came to Heidelberg, where he paid me a visit, when many civilities were exchanged. Father Minari had been drowned. The Count could accuse no one of giving false information. Meanwhile, they were busy at Hanover with carrying into effect the promises made by the Duke of Hanover to his brother, and a renunciation of marriage, written in his own hand, was handed by the Duke of Hanover to Duke Ernest Augustus. Writing merely for pleasure, I do not trouble to transcribe this deed. Suffice it to say that the Duke handed it over with much pleasure to his brother, and would, I believe, with equal pleasure, have fulfilled the rest of his promises had he followed the dictates of his own heart. However, did his counselors interfere, then they set themselves to cool his ardor, and persuaded him to reduce the yearly income promised to his brother by 20,000 crowns, which was no trifling loss. Thus did his good prince on all occasions display his weakness and inconsistency, Duke Ernest Augustus, being already engaged to me, was unable to make any resistance. Having perceived the urgent necessity of taking into consideration how our house of this line might be best provided with heirs and be perpetuated in the future, yet having been and remaining up to the present date both unable and unwilling in my own person to engage in any marriage contract, I have rather induced my brother, Ernest Augustus, to declare that, on condition of receiving from me a renunciation of marriage for myself, 
written and signed with my own hand in favor of himself and his heir's mail, he is prepared forthwith, and without delay, to enter into holy matrimony, and, as may be hoped, soon to bestow the blessing of heirs on people and country, as has been agreed and settled between him and myself. And whereas my brother Ernest Augustus, for reasons before mentioned, has entered into a marriage contract with Her Highness Princess Sophia, which contract he purposes shortly to fulfill. So I, on my side, not only on account of my word given and pledged, but also on my own free will and consent, desire to ratify and confirm the aforesaid conditions to my before-mentioned brother and promise, so long as the said princess and my brother continue in life and in the bonds of matrimony, or after their decease leave heirs male, that I never will nor shall on any account enter into, much less carry out any marriage contract with any person, and wish nothing else than to spend what remains to me of my life entirely in celibacy, to the intent that the heirs male of the before-mentioned princess and of my brother, in whose favor this renunciation is made, may attain and succeed to the sovereignty over one or both of these principalities. For the safer and truer assurance of all which conditions I have with my own hand written and signed this renunciation and sealed it with my seal and thereafter handed it over with all due care to my brother's own charge and keeping. So done at Hanover. George William, Duke of Brunswick and Lunenburg, April 11th through the 21st, 1658. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Rebecca Larson. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.